Hey, I'm Maria spear Alice, and I hate rushing. It never yields good things to rush, whether it's rushing to finish a client project or rushing to put on eyeliner. But when we have 10,000 things on our minds at any given moment, it's hard not to fall into that habit. I've had a lot of very specific technical training in my life, hello music school and law school, but none of that training prepared me for being a business owner, a lawyer, a wife, a mom, or really just a functional adult woman with a huge to-do list. I'm no guru, but I created Don't Rush Me as a way to talk more about the slow, simple tools you can start using today to make your life and business life a little easier. So whether you're a healer, a coach, or a business owner or professional craving that slowdown, come with me as we learn about the small, easy things that can make a huge difference in your mind, body, or business. Have you ever struggled with imposter syndrome? That's almost a rhetorical question these days because everybody does, or at least has at some point. Everybody, C-suite executives, mothers, business owners, everybody. So if you're feeling impostery, listen closely to my guest today. Rebecca Gebhardt is the owner of Rise Up Consulting, and she specializes in helping emerging sales leaders go from the sales leaderboard to leadership. What does that mean? Well, if you take a look at her book, Beyond the Board, she talks a lot about going beyond a vision board, right? Beyond just having goals and figuring out how you're actually going to make it happen in a way that's true to you. Hint, it starts with figuring out what you want, why you want it, who you need to be, and who you need around you. So good, right? But before listening into my conversation with Rebecca, as always, let's take a second and tap into today's holistic history lesson. Mastica, also known as mastic, is a resin extracted from the mastic tree, which is native to the Greek island of Chios. Fun fact, some of my great-grandparents were from Chios. Mastic only grows around 24 villages in southern Chios, the only place in the world where it grows because of the soil, the climate, and thousands of years of tree genetics. The resin has been used for thousands of years for its unique flavor and therapeutic properties. And more specifically, it's been used in the Eastern Mediterranean for thousands of years with references to its use dating back to ancient Greek, Roman, and Byzantine times, according to an article in Forbes by Stephen Kokini. In terms of culinary uses, mastica has been used in cooking and as a flavor enhancer in a variety of food and beverage products, including sweets, pastries, gum, and liqueurs. Traditional medicine-wise, mastica has antibacterial and anti-inflammatory effects. It used to be used to treat digestive problems, wounds, and skin conditions. According to an article in CNN Travel by John Malathronas, Back when there was no dental hygiene, the wealthy chewed mastica to freshen their mouths and to protect themselves against plaque. Today, mastica continues to be used in cooking as well as in cosmetics and personal care products due to its unique properties. It's also used in some traditional medicine practices, particularly in Greece and in the Eastern Mediterranean. In recent years, there's been an increasing body of scientific research into the health benefits and therapeutic properties of mastica. Some studies have demonstrated that mastica has antibacterial, anti-inflammatory, and antioxidant properties. Hey, hey. Additionally, research has suggested that mastica may have potential health benefits for conditions like oral health, IBS, and skin conditions. Pretty awesome. Shout out to my island of Hios. All right. Hope you enjoyed that history lesson. And now here is my conversation with Rebecca Gebhardt. By the way, I know that my mic does some funny things at the beginning of this episode, but I promise it doesn't last long. Just hang in there. Thank you for having me. 
Thank you for being here. Um, I have known you for kind of a long time. I think before I was even married. It's, that's kind of crazy. <laughs> yes, before yes, before you were married. Well, and and you're like a, um, an amazing salesperson that I've just like watched grow into the successful woman. And I want to know if you could tell us a little bit about what it is you do, who you serve, but just your kind of your origin story, how it is that you've got to do what you're doing today. Yes, I will give you the short version. So <laughs> the, the end version is that I own Rise Up Consulting and we specialize in helping emerging sales leaders make the leap from the sales leaderboard to leadership. And then we work specifically with organizations to strengthen their leadership pipeline, which starts at the very beginning, that first transition, making those frontline sales leaders successful. And that trickles up all the way to the C-suite. So if organizations can get clear on what makes leaders successful at every step of the rung as they rise up the rank, they will um, they can pinpoint their development around that. They can give opportunities for emerging leaders in a more strategic way. And then those leaders um, have more ambition. They're very clear. And then they can get the training that they need to be confident. I got here through very serendipitous means that I started in sales when I was in college. And then I became a sales leader. And then I transitioned to insurance where I did the same thing. I sold and I led teams around the country. And then due to burnout and a little bit of boredom, honestly, I retired from insurance. And that was almost nine years ago. It'd be nine years ago in May, which is crazy because I was there for nine years. And then I took some time off. I was a stay-at-home mom trying to just figure out what I want to do. Um, I was paid residual income. I still am from that insurance business. So it allowed me some space and some flexibility to figure out what I really want to do in this life. How can I contribute? What are these gifts and strengths that I have that can actually help people, but also make some money, right? Yeah. I have like a good life. So I got into consulting. I said, you know what? I'm going to start my own consulting business, sort of coaching female entrepreneurs. And I went, maybe I don't want to just coach female entrepreneurs. I'll coach salespeople. And then that more for the sales leadership. And then I was looking at my business and I thought, this is going to be really hard to scale because one of my top values is freedom. And how I define success is having the most freedom, the, the most control over the one resource that I get back, which is time. If I had to go to work and punch a clock, and I had to be somewhere and someone was dictating that, I could probably make a ton of money and get great results, but that would just nullify one of my greatest values. So I was looking at my coaching business with this one-on-one -on -one coaching I was doing, and I was like, the only way to scale is to add more hours onto my day, and I don't want to do that. So I thought, let me get into group coaching, and then I hired a magnificent coach that helps women go corporate. And then I started doing getting corporate clients, which is a much better way to scale. So I'm having the same conversation with all sales leaders. For, we are streamlining their entire leadership development. And the ROI on that is much bigger for my clients. It's a lot more fun 
for me and it's a better way to scale my business. So that's how I kind of ended up here through lots of failures, through lots of beating my head against the wall saying, is this business going to work? You know, uh, getting rejected from people. Um, there, there was a, it was a lot of failure along the way. And I'm sure there's still some lessons um, <laughs> along the way. But yeah, we're, we're, in, we're in a good groove right now. So interesting. Okay, so I'm curious, you know, you, you mentioned that you worked with um, women entrepreneurs and kind of transitioned into corporate, but is there any theme or are there any themes that kind of weave the, their way through both groups? Is there anything that you have kind of, that you maybe used in your coaching of entrepreneurial women that you still use today that maybe some listeners who are entrepreneurs can say like, ooh, I love that. Mm-hmm. Well, if, you know, people market things differently, um, but people are people and everyone have the same problem. Like everyone has the same problem. Men struggle with imposter syndrome. Women struggle with imposter syndrome. We are all, we all struggle. It's just how we show it and how we mask it is different. So I was really big when I was coaching female entrepreneurs, I did time and energy management mainly, and that was always the aha. But it's funny because I share that same concept. And most of my clients are men, not by design. I wish more women were sales leaders and, and leaders in general, but 80% of sales leaders are men. And we know the numbers on the C-suite. It's just there aren't a lot of women. And I, I hope to change that. So part of that, anyway, part of what we do is focus on diversity and synergy and making sure people are giving opportunities to everyone. But um, I would do a time and energy management with mainly men and they go, oh my gosh, I'm burnt out or I'm not burnt out. I'm fatigued. If I don't do something about this, I'm going to get burnt out. People say burnout and they need fatigue, but that's a whole other tangent that we don't have. To do <laughs> um, but um, I think, you know, trusting yourself and starting with strength and getting your mindset right. That is where I start with all of my clients is what is your mindset? What are your goals? What is defined success to you? My definition of success is going to be different than someone else's. And then what are you working with? We are so, people are not self-aware and they need to be. I just saw a clip of Oprah Winfrey. I don't know if it was on Instagram or some quote of hers. She was speaking at a commencement and she said, you know, what do you want? How can you contribute to your purpose in the world? And you can't contribute if you don't think about what you want and you're not self-aware of your strength. So I am a certified quality consultant. So we do those assessments to figure out where are your strengths with how you actually go about doing things. You could take a clip and strength finder or an Enneagram or um, was one I just natural designer. There was anyway, human design. My, human design. Yeah, human design. Yeah, yeah. My operations manager just, just took that. And that's, you know, personality, values, motivation, those types of things. So any tool you can have to say, oh, this is what I'm good at. How can you go all in with those strengths instead of getting random advice from people who mean well, but they don't know you. They're not working with the same strengths. And all of that stuff translates for women entrepreneurs to men in the C-suite who are, you know, pumping out millions of dollars of revenue a year. It, it's the same stuff. It's just, we need to package it differently to different people because that's what they hear and that's what resonates with them. Mm-hmm. 
So um, when you're talking about finding your strengths, do you find that it's best to, I mean, sometimes you're in a team and you, you don't really have a say in terms of, you know, if you're part of someone else's team, like you're working with those people. So it's, it's a matter of each of you finding each other's strengths and working together for like that greater purpose. But if you are building a team, how can you, are you of kind of the mindset that you find others with completely different strengths or you want others that have similar strengths to you so that you can kind of amplify what, what, what's the, what's the best way there if you're building a team? Ooh, that's a good question. That technical answer is both. Um, and I, I'll speak to cognitive strength, which this is, I'll do a quick thing. So there's three parts of the mind. Think, feel, do, right? Like Aristotle and Plato talked about this in ancient times. So the think part is how smart you are. That's um, your IQ. We measure that through the SAT, the ACT, a Wonderlick test. The feel part are some of those affective things I was just talking about with your motivations and your values. The do part is how you go about doing things. And um, when you put together teams, the most you want, you want trust and synergy when you put teams together. And not all coworker teams are actual teams, right? Sales teams are often not teams at all. They're hybrid. It's just every salesperson for themselves. So they call themselves a sales team, but they're not really a team. Right. It, uh, it's sort of like baseball versus basketball. Baseball kind of like you're a team, but just like hybrid. It's like one batter against, you know basketball, you're all playing synergistically together. To put together great teams, you need to um, look at the strengths that you need. And Colby actually has a thing where you want 50% of people in the middle of this continuum, 25% on one end and 25% on the other. And I, I, I'm like answering this, but I'm like, I think I'm going to be confusing people. So people are going to what's a Colby? But, but so I'll give an example of this. So there's um, there's four modes of how you do things. And one of them is called FactFinder, which is how you gather and share information. You either simplify, you explain, or you specify. If you have too many people who are specifying, you get an analysis paralysis. They go, what about this? Then I need to take a deep dive into that. And then just it goes tangent and you don't get anywhere. If you have people who just simplify, they go, here's bullet points, go figure it out can't operate that way. Um, and then you, so you need people in the middle. So this is literally what I mean. You, you need to place teams. And so that's what I should do with organizations. And it's funny, Maria, that you put people together with the same strength and they gridlock. And they're like, what is happening? And they don't know what's happening. I don't know enough about clips and strengths, although I love Gallup. And I know that those certified consultants put teams together like that based on personality. You know, you have a futuristic person dealing with an activator, right? The visionary working with someone like me who just gets it done. So you you need all of those people, but you first need to be self-aware of your own strength. Then you can start putting teams together. So there's varying differences with that. But the whole point, uh, we can bring this back to, to time and energy management, is you, we only have so much energy every day. The Colby deals with mental energy. So if I am, if I'm getting into the specifics, which is not where I naturally fit, if I have to answer the nth degree questions from people, it mentally burns me out. And I shouldn't be there. I should be in this space right here of explaining. <laughs> I mean, I, I can, 
go into more detail with you, then I'm like, that's ah, going to burn me out. It's going to like, my eyes are going to start glazing over. Your eyes might start glazing over. So um, we want people to operate in their strength zone and then use their mental energy accordingly because you only have so much every day and when you're out, you're out. Yeah. So if I'm hearing you correctly. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I think that, okay. I think that, okay. So if you're, if you're building a team or even if you're just, you know, you're getting into that fatigue zone, right. That you mentioned, the first thing you need to do is have a little self-awareness and know where your strengths is, like where that zone is that you should be living in and then kind of manage your time and energy from there. Yes, exactly from there. Yes. And you know, when I, I work with salespeople and, and this could be anyone. I, I've listened to a few of the other podcasts had, and it's funny because everyone kind of deals with this. We have to get over some of the things that we were taught in childhood about work and whatever it is. But people feel that this is how I felt. I should say this. And I know a lot of people feel that not everybody, but you know, that work, hard work pays off, but that it has to be hard. So I have the, the most, the least, self-aware people in this world are people who say, I don't know, I just work hard. And you need to work hard. Like that's, that's not, but people do not work smart and they work ineffectively. And there is so much more joy in figuring out what your strengths are and finding people, I say this diminish your deficiencies, which uh, I need to get a trademark on. Diminish your deficiencies. But this is really what we need to think about. And what I was taught new in sales was grind it out. It, it should be hard. You, that's when you know it's worth it. It was like this really backwards view of work. Now, I'm not proposing when things start to get hard, you stop. That's not what I'm talking about because we know that success doesn't happen that way. It happens out of our comfort zone and we continually push ourselves. But you know you, in your gut when you're on the wrong track, you know when you're on the right track. And I have found success in a lot of different areas of my life, but this is the best I've ever felt being successful. I felt very crappy in the past, not because someone made me be a certain way. I just wasn't self-aware of what I was working with. I thought I had to be like someone else. I thought I had to fit in the mold and that's actually not where I shine. So, um, it, it, you want to find people if, 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 like, no matter how hard I try, you're like, oh, you're a great salesperson. I am not a closer. I ain't a closer. <laughs> you know what I, mean? I am a uh, discovery person. I'm a question asker. But you wouldn't hire me to come in as the closer. No matter how hard I work, I've gotten better at closing. But that's not where my strength shines. So I, I hire people who can close. Right. Like you should be working with within that. And I'll, I'll kind of be quiet because I can go on tangents about this. But I just you know, stop grinding, stop doing things just because we think that's the way it has to be. Just become self-aware and then make your game plan, utilizing your time and energy around your strengths and yeah, all that good stuff. Yeah, I think I don't know if it's a generational thing. Like we grew up seeing like hard work and putting that in ear quotes and like, oh, that's what we have to do. And if you're not reaching like this revenue you know, goal, you got to work harder and you got to, you know, do more. And I feel like doing more is just not the answer because then you get to fatigue and burnout, like you said. 
Ally, do you not think it's the answer? It actually isn't the answer. So I always think this is funny. We've got, you know, the psychology and behavioral science on one end that tells us, like, right, we've got data on what actually makes people successful. And then we have the habits that we've built in from like, you know, caveman days, right? Like of how hard work when we hunted for carcasses, <laughs> like of how hard it had to be when you didn't have like agriculture like it is today. It wasn't a lot of hard work to survive. Physical hard work. Physical hard work. Yes. Um, you do less and you obsess about those few things. Any successful person will say you focus on one thing and you go all in with that. That's very hard for people to do. Like, what about this? And I see someone else there and I want to go do that. And it's just, just focus on it. Um, and yeah, it's, it, you're like, I, I, you're like, so yeah, it, it actually is not all the data says that there is. Um, I love Michael Hyatt and you listen to his podcast, The Business Accelerator, all the time. He's a Nashville guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, just on the most recent one, they were giving some stats about work. And there's a book um, called Great at Work by Dr. Morton Hansen. He didn't quote him, but I quote Dr. Morton Hansen when I'm talking about time and energy management, where the data says that if you work um, up to up to 50 hours a week, any hour you add on actually produces less work. And then over 60 hours a week that you work, it's like you're, you're just wasting time because of all the mistakes that you're making. And mm-hmm. he was sharing with that on, um, I don't know if it's the time, it's more of his most recent ones. And I but it's so funny because it's true. So we only have so much energy every day. You have to maximize where you're, we are recording this in the morning. I'm best in the morning. So I would never report a record a podcast at you in the afternoon. <laughs> I, I don't start, sound very intelligent at two o'clock in the afternoon, but it's like, again, being self-aware of your strength, being self-aware of when you get your best work done, focus those few things during that time, guard that time with your life, and then you'll get so much more done and it'll be good work and you, you'll be proud of it. Yep. Yep. I, I totally hear that and feel that because for me, my my most productive like time for client work, not necessarily for, you know, content creation or anything like that, but like from one o'clock to three o'clock, that's like my bing, like I'm cranking it out. I am focused. Like it's my it's my time to to get into detailed work. And I know that about myself. Someone else, you know, and I encourage anyone listening to to maybe even keep track of that, right? Like if there's a way that you can keep track of like, oh, today I got these things done and when you got those things done and what things you were getting done, I think, I mean, going back to what you said, self-awareness is like the first step. Yeah. And I'll add something to that. So along with the time, because something in the Colby, there's a thing called quick start, a mode with how you handle risk and innovation. There are some people, my husband is one of them, that if he waits, the last minute that's when he does his best work and he was told everyone and that's that procrastinator are told that they are wrong they shouldn't now that he shouldn't wait for the last minute because i i can't wait for the last minute um but he actually so there are people who are like that so not just i think that's a great suggestion to, to listeners to say when is your best work getting done when are what are these results when are you in flow but also what's the deadline i have clients who are 
not great at waiting to the last minute. They would throw their worst work together at the last minute. And I'm a little too structured to do that. So that's, again, knowing yourself. But yeah, and, and don't don't take random advice. Really, like, just be quiet and, and don't look at all these gurus of how they do it. Just think about yourself and how you get work done and just go all in with your, with your way of doing it. I think that's so huge, um, what you just said, because I think, you know, with podcasts and Audible and everything, like, we consume, 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 and it's like, you can get to over saturation too with that so at a certain point it's like okay I've heard a lot of things I've learned a lot of things like even it's almost like an intuition type of thing like listening to your intuition and being like okay how where I need to get quiet for a second and like pay attention to myself yeah and on that note um when people are putting their schedules together you need to set aside time to think and to be quiet everyone does when I talk to salespeople, like they get paid to work, right? They get paid to act. Leaders get paid to think. Entrepreneurs are their own leader and they get paid to think. So um, my, again, your energetic time is the opposite of mine, which is really funny. So <laughs> I work myself to get, and I'm in Minnesota. It's snowing today. It's the middle of March. It's going to, it's just, it's terrible here. But I put my snow pants <laughs> on my food and, you know, all this stuff. And um, since COVID, really, um, I would never go out in the wintertime early years than that. But I force myself to go for a walk outside and be quiet. And I'm typically walking the dog. But again, all the data says, Maria, that our best ideas do not come when we're working. Our best ideas come when we're not, when, our, when the other, that side of our brain shuts off and the creativity side can go on. So, um, you know, best idea in the shower, you're falling asleep and you had to write that down. It's just, you need to schedule that time to think, whether it be 20 minutes a day or an hour, CEOs, the best CEOs schedule two hours a day to think. Wow. Uh-huh. I just went CEO excellence and that was a stat in there and I went, oh, that's crazy. I would have never like thought of two hours a day. I think 30 minutes is a lot. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. In terms of meditation, I'm like, I meditate for 10 minutes. And that's if I can do that, like that as a minimum, that's good. But I mean, there's a reason why you get great ideas in the shower, <laughs> you know? Yeah, like you, you, you push this stuff, right? Because this is what I'm talking about. When you're out of mental energy, you are out of mental energy and you need to replenish it. And so it's like, you, we've all been there where you just go, I can't, I'm just staring at the computer, nothing's happening. Get up and walk away. When nothing works, do nothing. Do nothing. And then we don't do nothing for a week and a half, but do nothing for maybe 10, 15 minutes. Walk around, move your body, turn it off, and then come back and you'll be like, Eureka. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. When nothing works, do nothing. That is like, I'm going to quote you on it. <laughs> That's a Kathy Colby quote. Don't, don't quote me. But, um, <laughs> yeah. But it's, but it's true. It's really, it's, it's absolutely true. And it's true based on data. Yeah. Well, tell us before we kind of wrap up, I want to hear about Beyond the Board because I know that that was a huge, um, huge part of your work. So tell us, give us, you know, the synopsis and what it was that led you to, to writing your book. Yeah. So I wrote that book. I released it on February 29th of 2020. 
And I said, I'm going to write a book every four years. And I went, oh my gosh, 2024 is next year. So I have to start my leaderboard to leadership book this year. But um, I wrote that. I wrote that when I had, uh, I hadn't started my consulting business. I had been doing it for about a year and a half to that point, but I was trying to organize my thoughts. And that the purpose wasn't to, it was just, I wanted my kids to know what their mom does. And at that time, people were coming to me about how do I set these goals? And everyone's heard of a vision board. And if you haven't done one, I encourage you to do one. But then you like slap the vision board up and mine's in my office. I I look at it every single day, but it's like, okay, I got this vision board, but it's like, what do I do now? So beyond the board is going beyond putting that first step together. And how are you going to actually make it happen? Because how you do something is going to be very different than other people. So I, I put that together of really, what do you want? What's your def- Like, what do you want? What's your definition of success? Why do you want it? Digging deep into, is it for validation? Is it for yourself? Who do you need to be in the process to achieving that goal? Who do you need around you? And then how to do it. So what, why, who, how was really the majority of the book. And then I touched on time and energy management and there. And then the end of it was connecting it to your legacy. There is a, a book. I think it's The Psychology of Money. I'm trying to find it on my, I moved all my stuff around. Yeah, Psychology of Money. And um, there, I forget what the term is, but the author was saying that we are so bad at looking ahead and trying to figure out what our, our future selves want. That it's really hard to set goals sometimes because it's like what we want now. And I didn't know his, you know, data in there, you know, when I wrote the book, but the last chapter is about legacy. Like when you, when the buzzer sounds for you and you look back, what do you want your final report card to say about you? Is it going to be, I made a ton of money? It might be, you made a ton of money so you could help a ton of people. Or is it you were present with people, you, you, you let others in, like all of that kind of stuff so that's what that was about and then the how part was really using your metrics how do you find success when should you be doing this work and just it's kind of like a workbook book which I hated those I was like writing it I was like oh my gosh it has to be a work I never like filled those out before I'd always be like I'm too smart for this <laughs> um but it's been really helpful for people on you know they're like what do I do now you can't just look at a vision board and manifest it. Like that doesn't happen. It comes to you. You have to go out and work for it. And so that was what that book was about, uh, just going after what you want. I think one of the key things that you said too is asking why. Because when I sit here today and I think like, what do I want? It's like a very big question. And so you have to sit with that and think about what you want. I was talking to a friend um, a couple of months ago and they were like, I want to be in Nashville's 40 under 40. It's like, well, why? Why? Because it feels good. Because it feels good to know that you're being recognized. But like, is that a real? I mean, maybe to this person, that would be huge. Maybe it would be huge in their industry, whatever. But it's like, of all the things, you know, and, 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 not, and I'm not hating on that either. It's just like asking yourself why you want something almost lets yourself off the hook too for things that maybe aren't as big on the scale of what you want in life, you know? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it, and it could be 
you know, then I get recognized, that opens up opportunities. And that is, that's what they see as the stepping stone to get to somewhere else. But if they don't figure out why that is, they may be truly successful, not get the 40 under 40 and feel like a complete failure. And we, when we tie our worth to extrinsic things, we typically don't win. Or when we do win, it, it, it feels good for five minutes. And then we go, what's next? Especially high performers. Yeah. Yes. People who are listening yes. to this podcast, right? People don't listen to this kind of thing unless they are high performers that they want to get better. But yeah, sitting with that why. And sometimes the, the why has to make you cry. I had this, this um, exercise in the book. You got to go seven layers deep. Why, why this? Why this? Why this? And it really, I, I did this with a female client. She was like, I want to make a bunch of money. And she had this sales goal. And I went, why? And then she got quiet. And it was a very painful exercise to go through. It's not easy. It sounds easy and it's not. And what it came down to was safety for her children. She's a single mom. And she wanted to have a home where her kids felt safe. Because the place she currently, or she lived at the time, it was like, okay, but it was all she could afford. And she's like, I want a home for them. I want them to feel safe. And that was that she was present to that as she went out and worked every single day versus I just want to make a bunch of money because we as humans, we, we, we will figure out how to live on less than, than we will to get out of our comfort zone and do the mental work it takes to do more. That's just how we're wired. And so, mm-hmm. and it's a lot of freaking work to level up to it's a lot of, I was just getting out of town how this worked and I'm just like oh it really hurts um but if you just you know you're disciplined to it and you're taking that time to think it becomes so much it becomes worth it, it becomes so worth it and it's not about some extrinsic thing it could be but it's usually deeper than that yeah I heard a quote recently and I'm going to butcher it but something about like your comfort zone isn't actually giving you comfort. It's caging you, right? Like, oh, that's good. That's good. It is good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. I um, Tell us where we can follow you or find you on Instagram, LinkedIn, your website. Yeah, the the place I am the most is LinkedIn. And so um, you can find Rebecca Gephardt. It's Rise Up. It's linkedin.com slash Rise Up. And uh, I'm on Instagram at Rise with Rebecca. Great stuff from Rebecca in there. I think one of the the most important takeaways is that self-awareness and just, you know, taking a step back and really tuning into your body, getting quiet and being self-aware when it comes to your strengths and when you might not be in your strengths and not doubling down on trying so hard to improve where your weaknesses are and instead focusing on those strengths. If you enjoyed this episode or learned something new, please rate and review the podcast. It means so much. And if you share on social, be sure to tag me at HeySoMaria. This episode was brought to you by The Legal Apothecary. Hey, that's my business. I'm a licensed attorney and my practice is The Legal Apothecary, which is a female-forward holistic legal service for creative women that want to focus on growing their influence and their gifts. And part of the Legal Apothecary is the Legal Apothecary Library, where I sell easy-to-follow contract templates for you to use in your business. 
As a podcast listener, use code PODCAST for a 22% discount on any of the contract kits that you find in the Legal Apothecary Library. Link in the show notes.